Hi, I'm Chad Emerson, and this is the Downtown Explorer Podcast, the virtual third place where we gather for interesting conversations with downtown innovators and entrepreneurs. Hi, everyone. Chad Emerson. We are here at the worldwide headquarters of Downtown Huntsville, Inc. for our DHI Explorer Podcast. We're excited to have a renaissance man with us today, Donovan Duncan. Welcome to the pod. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. And I say renaissance man because you're farming the world, you're creating technology, you, you do as much as anyone I know. So tell us, um, what's harder, being a permaculture farmer or a game, video game developer? Oh, wow. That's where that renaissance crossover happened there. Okay. That's the best uh, I could do. That's it's my, excellent. That's my cool it was program. an excellent open. Uh <laughs> You know, they're both so different. I uh, I think they both have very unique challenges, you know. But uh, on the farming side, certainly it's labor-intensive. And then you've got to just work with a, a, a unique group of people, right, in order to bring those uh, experiences to life. You've got to go find people with fa- passion for vegetables. Um, and that's that's hard to do. Or, or passion for, you know, growing chickens, et cetera. And that's, that's hard to do. And so I often find that, you know, for that I've got to, like, really import talent. I've got to find people really across the U.S. that are interested in that as a lifestyle. Um, the gaming side of it, I don't want to say that it's easier because it's extremely difficult work, but I think that there are more people today that are interested in that. And so, you know, I, I can normally source more locally, I would say. So you moved here coming with a San Francisco tech company and you ended up starting Duncan Farms, which I think is one of the best um, all-natural organic type farms I've been to, your your sausage, your wines, your, you make all this stuff. Like, how do you decide I'm going to buy some land in Gurley, even though I moved here from downtown SF, I'm going to start a farm? Yeah, it didn't happen so so easy and, and so sequentially. I, uh, I had moved uh, our company here, you know, going on maybe nine, ten years ago. But I did it quickly. So I actually bought a home up in Newmarket. I did it in two days because that's like what I had, right? We were we were making a lot of things happen back then. We were moving very quickly. I, I cared less about, you know, at that stage in my life where I lived and more that I was here to do kind of a, a mission, right, at uh, Curse. Um, and then I spent about two years finding the house of you know, the caliber of, of the need, et cetera, that I needed for the farm vision, which was always meant to just be like, you know, philanthropic. And I had a an initial picture of what I wanted the land to be and, and the things uh, I was going after. That, of course, has changed even since then, right? We all learn and grow. But uh, but no, it took me it took me a couple years to find the right place that would uh, lend itself to the farming and the idea that I wanted to kind of bring to town. So if someone has never heard of Duncan Farms, Describe to them, you know, what it is, because it's it's so many different things, and it's just amazing. Yeah, at the core of the idea is we want to build a relationship with the community. We do this in a sustainable fashion. Our intent is to grow the healthiest, cleanest food that you can possibly find. Um, which is really opaque, right? Like a lot of people don't understand what that really means. But for us, it means that the animal should be eating the things the animal was meant to eat. Um, Things should have a good life on our farm. Our farm is completely open. So we expect that our customers can come and experience it and know where their food comes, you know, grows, et cetera. Um, And that's us, right? So think think about a, a permanent relationship with a local farm and farmer that you can count on. And when stuff hits the fan, you know, we've always got supply and, and we're kind of your partner in it, uh, which is very different, I think, than, you know, traditional farming of let me grow as much as I can. I'll put it out in the marketplace and hope it sells. Ours is much more community oriented. We send out recipes. We think a lot about the product that we put out and it's always different. And so you have a CSA, a subscription, right? 
and then you have a, um, a farm shop. Is that right? That's right. Yep. So if someone wants to just kind of test the waters and, and get some stuff from Duncan Farms, tell us about the farm shop. Yeah. So the farm shop is open uh, Saturday and Sunday, 10 to 2. And uh, you can always come see a couple animals, you know, walk around. We try to, again, make sure it's like really wide open. But to your point, that's a great place to come, sample some products, see a little bit of uh, what we offer. And then the CSA, which... People always ask what that stands for. That stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And again, it's that idea of your partnership with the farmer. That is a biweekly, so every two weeks, uh, delivery to your home. It's 50 bucks. We bring you a, a meal. You know, ideally, there's a lot of cost savings in there, but also exposure to really good, healthy food coupled with a receipt or sorry, a, a, a recipe that uh, that lets people experience kind of like new ways of cooking or, you know, new flavors and things that they hadn't experienced. We really try and um, drive that home, which is, you know, there's a lot of vegetables in the world. There's not just the five or 10 that maybe show themselves at Publix or whatever that number is. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to downplay it, but there's like varieties even within those tomatoes or varieties even within those potatoes that are exciting exceptional experiences from a flavor profile perspective. And that's where we kind of lean in. What is the favorite thing that you are growing right now? And what is the favorite thing that you are raising right now? Okay. So on the growing front, you know, and I, I feel like 10 years ago, me would never say this, but you know, in the, in the winter and in the fall, I've fallen in love with turnips because we roast them now. And I've got all these different recipes and things I can use them for. We did a smoked puree like a week ago and it was just phenomenal. 10 years ago, me would be like, no, I don't like turnips. I like turnips now a lot. So I look forward to that this time of year. I'm a turnip guy. That's cool. Uh, Raising, you know, this is a a time of year where uh, we just started lambing. Uh, And so we're preparing all of our uh, lamb herds to, you know, have their babies here in the early part of spring. So within like the next 35, 45-ish days, we'll have about 30 lambs born on the farm. And that's just a really fun time. You know, they're fun to see them bouncing out in the field. They're fun to go out and help them, you know, just as they're growing up and uh, experience all of that. So that's a that's a lot of fun. That only happens this time of year. And you have a fruit game going on too that's pretty strong. We do. So we uh, we specialize in trying to grow things that are not easily accessible, right? So uh, things like pawpaw, which are indigenous to the area, but a little bit harder to get. And then they certainly don't store well, so you won't find those in a lot of your commercial retailers. So we grow things like that. And then we try to leverage those with good local partnerships, turn those things into jams or even spirits and you know a variety of different things to expose people to the flavor profile that exists even here locally. So as part of your renaissance world, moving away from the farm, moving closer into the city, you're also an investor in downtown real estate. Tell us how you got into downtown real estate. Yeah, I was one of the many fortunate people, I think, that have kind of seen our city grow up around us, you know, and I was in a, uh, a unique position to be able to kind of help a little bit, both with advice and, uh, you know, I think more importantly, sometimes just a little bit of capital to get some of these great ideas that local entrepreneurs have and are pursuing, help get that set up and and bring that to Huntsville. So, you know, from a real estate perspective, our city's been growing like crazy. Every time I come to town, um, you know, I'm noticing something new happening or or being built. And it it doesn't take much business acumen to know like, hey, look, you know, this is this is all getting bigger. This is all getting better. So I've been kind of aggressively trying to find good opportunities and meet, you know, local people, both on the real estate side but local companies and things as well uh, to just support the growth. Like it means a lot, I think, if you live in a city and want to integrate with the community to be at that level and, you know, have a kind of a first class ticket to what's going on. So the tech side of things, which brought you to Huntsville in the first place, did, um, yep. give us the origin story of how a SF based gaming tech firm ended up in the Rocket City. 
So this was, uh, you know, like uh, eight, nine, ten years ago. And um, at the time, we were San Francisco-based. We were competing, and, you know, I'll mess up some of these uh, these names, but we were competing with a very recent Yelp, I want to say IPO. Uh, a handful of other companies were really kind of starting what is almost inherent these days about, you know, these big salaries and equity compensation plans in the big city and so on. And we found that, you know, we're, we're a gaming company. It's very, very hard to compete with Facebook. It's just very, very difficult. Um, and then in the Bay Area, Specifically, I wanted to give our employees like a much better quality of life, allow them to look at our business as a place where they could build a career, stay for more years. You know, you you really retain all of this excellent talent and knowledge in-house if you can kind of perpetuate that culture and get people to stick around, not because they have to, but because they want to and they love the place. And and we had those things, but then financially, we couldn't necessarily account for it. So we we looked at a handful of different cities at the time. This was, uh, you know, Charlotte, Las Vegas, even Seattle, which, you know, financially didn't make a lot of sense, uh, but it did then. Um, and Huntsville ended up being the best for us. And the, for us was we need a highly technical talent pool, a group of people that are generally speaking interested in you know games and technology and the internet and those kinds of things. Um, and then we wanted the place to be um, more reasonable just in terms of like the actual amount we could pay people and the life that they could experience with that pay. Uh, and Huntsville ended up being kind of, once we did this matrix, the uh, the number one spot, or at least the, the highest ranked on our list. And then we decided to pull the trigger on that. We uh, we moved 60 roles here. And, um, you know, a few folks moved. It wasn't a lot, you know, uh, back in the day. It was, I think Huntsville had just a different association with technology and progress and things than it does definitely now, you know? I was going to say, do you think if you were moving Curse here now, do you think it would be easier to convince more people to relocate or hire more people? I do. You know, you and I have had this convo, and you know, outside of this facet, but it's like, 10 years ago, I'd tell people I live in Huntsville, Alabama, and I go to a lot of shows. They look at me, they go, where, where is that? You know, they have no idea. Now it's, oh, I've heard of it or I've been there or, you know, my cousin just relocated there. It is an entirely different story. And uh, from a business perspective, that's super helpful. I can only imagine, you know, this is hard to quantify, but the actual impact of it, right? What is what is really going on versus kind of what I hear and the sentiment of people? And that's what you see and experience here. You know, lots of new buildings, new companies coming in, those kinds of things. And all of those bode well for that that initial bet, right, that we made. I'm, I'm still reaping the reward of that, which has been, this has been a great city. So um, fast forward to present day, what are some of, if you're looking, if you if you were having a company, a tech company right now, what are some of the strengths that Huntsville has to offer a, a growing tech company? Yeah, I think in terms of your talent pool, um, it's exceptional right now. You know, you're getting more and more of these types of individuals with certain skill sets, et cetera, coming here. And that, that sets a, a competitive tone, you know, and it's good to think as a, as a business owner where you'll be recruiting from locally and the experiences that those people will have. And with Google, FBI, even, you know, Facebook, these data centers, these different um, kind of facilities that are coming to our town. That's a plus one for me. It means that I can fill critical and key roles. So I like that a lot. The cost of living here, though it's gone up and it's painful, I think, for those of us that have seen it go up, it's still exceptional given uh, other areas of the country, right? I've still got friends asking, should I consider moving? And I say to them, well, you know, what do you make there and what is an apartment? And then I show them what those things would look like here. And every time they're still wide-eyed and think it's a great opportunity. So again, being close to it, it's hard. It's hard to consume that, right? But then if you look 
from a macro perspective, that still is very much going for us. Um, and then I love I love the the balance I think that we strike with nature. You know, we've got a lot of trails. You've got rivers that you know, frankly, are empty most of the time. You've got beautiful lakes here, mountains, caves. You, you name it, there's something to see. And so Huntsville is still uh, for me a box uh, that you know is checked many times as I kind of go through the list of things that I think are meaningful for people moving here. So if you could do it again, would you have? Picked here for curse or I would. I probably would have come sooner. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Flip flip side though, um, in today's downtown Huntsville or Huntsville in general, in the tech innovation scene, what are some of the challenges we're facing? Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's still a, a kind of a gap on the capital side in terms of being able to fund some of these companies. You know, if you're part of a VC network or if you're looking to potentially invest in an entrepreneurial type endeavor, it's still easy to look at the big cities. Um, there's just more it's like a, it's a numerical, uh, you know, argument at that point. There's just more there, right? But by by um, virtue of population size and, and just the, the discussion that happens, so I'd like to see us do better there, you know, and have more investors and folks can considering early stage companies and growth as as a real opportunity here that can be invested in. So I'd like that to happen. Um, you know, outside of that, I think everything else is a function of time. I think everything else will fall in uh, quite well, and uh, and people will continue to see that we've we've built something special here, and that it's uh, it's happening. You know? We were talking to uh, Glenn Clayton recently on the pod, and uh, he was talking about you're starting to have this generation of folks that started a company, sold the first one, and now they're staying here rather than just moving off and starting the second one. You know, do you see that, and what does that mean to keep? That you know, generational type thing is. And I sold my company and moved as fast as I could to get to New York City or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm I'm in that bucket. I think there's a lot of wisdom in what Glenn said. You know, I'm in that bucket. I uh, we've we've transacted a few times in in different ways as part of like you know me and in, in the group that I'm uh, part of, and uh, and we've opted to stay. I've opted to stay. I have no plan or intent to leave. And so I think so. And I think that that is kind of a plus one as to the the opportunity that is perceived. Right. If I stick around here. I've got some good financial outcome. I see more happening. I'm, you know, as an investor, as a person in the space, it's uh, it's exciting to see those things. And I no longer, perhaps, feel the need to to move right and go back to the big city to to make a buck or, or whatever the scenario might be. So I think that's true. And I think I feel that, and I think that um, I've certainly witnessed more and more of that. And I've witnessed more of that entrepreneurial nature um, taking place here too. I mean, just the number of small businesses that have popped up that I'm aware of in the last few years is a significant amount more than I saw in the previous few years. Now, some of that's folks moving in, of course, and tremendous demand and need for goods and services and all of these things. But I also think a little bit of that is uh, part of just the nature, you know, the nature of the downtown scene. Going out and being able to see all these other people successful and businesses run well and new retail shops popping up gets my wheels spinning a bit. What can I open? What can I do? You know, how can I participate in these economics? And I think that is what was needed, and I think that is the the beginning of that churn, right, to really um, kind of set our city up for even more success. You're going to spend a Friday or Saturday evening, afternoon in, in downtown Huntsville. What's, what's a perfect itinerary sound like for you? I have been really loving the new Church Street wine shop setup. Uh, it's beautiful. It's on the street. It's a gorgeous building. You know, the food is tremendous. So I've been, uh, I've actually been there the last two Fridays. <laughs> the historic Humphrey Rogers house. It's yeah. And it's, it's beautiful. Uh, I've been, I've been there, you know, a generic walk downtown is nice. And then I'm always kind of looking for a new show. So I've been to two or three shows this year uh, at the Von Braun center. And uh, that's normally my route. you know, a nice dinner downtown, walk through the park, see what's playing or if there's something cool that I've got tickets for and, and go over and see that. So I stay pretty busy when I come. What 
um, when it comes to the gaming world, what is what do you think right now? I mean, I have kids now in that world, and it just seems like there's so many. There's everything from Tetris is making a comeback to super complex games that take 78 hours to finish. You know, you know, how can Huntsville, if you were king for a day, really lean into a, you know becoming a place that isn't just about missiles and rockets, but also is about consumer-facing technologies? Yeah, so there's maybe a couple of questions kind of wrapped in there. You know, the the thing about I think gaming um, is it's it's almost a hundred percent in the indie space at least, which is where I currently play. You know, it's all about passion, um, and and it, it it is all related, right? The the same contacts, friends, associates, people, etc. that I've known that have played tabletop board games happen to also brew their own beer, happen to also mm-hmm. develop games on the side, you know, and so, so it's very much a threaded cultural thing, I think at this point, which is, which is excellent. Um, and I say all of X, I'm like, look, we have as much of a shot as anywhere in the planet to be a leader in a variety of these different, you know, cool and exciting things. And I think that a little bit of luck, you know, a lot of hard work and something like that will, now, I don't want to say like replace what we're known for because I'm, I'm proud of what we're known for. I think it's exceptional and there's so much cool stuff going on. But also I think we can earn our place and be known for more than one thing, like many great cities. And I think we're very, very close to that. And I have seen, again, in the last three or four years, just the, the amount of new you know, beer places as, an exa- as one example you know, that, have, that have shown themselves here make me feel more like I belong, give me more you know, opportunity to engage in people that I, I like you know, from a cultural perspective that are interested in things I'm interested in. And, and there's dozens of examples like that. So I think where all of that ends up is we continue to explore, find, fund, you know, pursue, support, cool new business ventures and ideas uh, that are all r- related to our, our, our new cultural values and the things this city deems is important. Uh, but that's a long list, and I see that list growing all the time. So I, I sit around as a, almost an innocent bystander there of like, well, what will pop? What will happen? You know, but it's, a, it's an exciting time. Uh, people ask me, are you a gamer, Chad? And I said, no, but I'm a game watcher. Uh, I have a son who's in, at Huntsville High and just bought Elden Ring. I think that's what it's called. Oh, yeah, day. big game this week. Yeah, and, and I'll sit there, and I'm actually spending quality time with my son because it's, it's engaging. You can have different outfits to put on, but they're almost cinematic. Oh yeah, that game's gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, what is what these days? It almost feels like they're movies that have a gaming element to on some of these levels. Yeah. Is that is that accurate? You think? Yeah, it's funny. I uh, like nobody wants to get old, right? I think that's like classically shared among every human being is the, the fear of getting old. But sometimes I like to sit and think about what life will be like in twenty years for me, and I get very excited for where gaming is going. If I look at twenty years back, right, I'd be eighteen. If I look at thirty, it's even worse. But, you know, the games I was playing 20 years ago, and if I showed them to you today, you'd say, well, that doesn't look good at all. That's terrible. You know, from is that the gra- first Final Fantasy or is that uh, even before that? I'd have to pinpoint. <laughs> but, you know, like, yeah. like generally speaking, the aesthetics weren't there. The gameplay wasn't as robust. And nowadays you see this merger between, to your point, you know, more kind of movies, cinematics, these full-fledged experiences with still gaming. And there's a variety of different levels of that, right? There's still the the simplistic graphics and great gameplay type partners, you know, whatever. 
But all of this is is coming to a point, and that point is this extremely in-depth, unique, and exciting life experience that people will be able to enjoy. And it starts with games like like what just came out this this week. You know, Elden Elden Ring is a phenomenal game, an incredible story. I talked to a guy who's already been playing fifty hours. And he says he hasn't scratched the surface. You know, and it, these are amazing experiences. That again, if you take where we're at today and add twenty years to that. I can't even begin to tell you how like exciting that will be and in depth and synced with large parts of your life, you know, and, and it's all, it's all around uh, entertainment, learning, communicating with people. And, you know, and so there's some, there's some real good that's coming out of all of that. Yeah. Who would have thought, I mean, sometimes you get the pejorative, get people off the screens, but in that case, I'm actually sitting there with my son, quality time, engaging, saying, oh, we should do this or let's go explore that way yep. or things like that. It feels like um, when I was growing up, you might have a successful movie and then they would someone would license a game out of it. And now it feels like you'll have a successful game and they'll turn it into Uncharted with, you know, Marky Mark in it or The Last of Us. Is that is that is that a trend that you see happening that the the games become the movies? Yeah, they will be. I mean, Fortnite, for example, over the last three or four years is one of the largest media and entertainment brands in the world. And if you you know if you look at the things that they did in game, even which was concerts with some of the biggest stars that we have today, or guest spotlights of you know, fantastic movie stars and so on. The crossover's there. Now now the companies and the, the organizations are figuring out how to leverage it well, expose more people, bring in new audience members. You know, if you've been a fan of a certain band forever, would you install Fortnite to check them out in game? Maybe. And and game companies are realizing that. The bands are realizing that hey I can, you know, I can potentially reach a brand new audience who maybe hasn't heard of Metallica or you know you name it whatever, uh, and these are really interesting things. I think it's kind of bridging the gap uh, from a you know in, in the media, which is uh, fun and exciting, and I think uh, early stage and untapped still. So, what's cool is you have these big tentpole type games like you do movies, but you also have the indie movie crowd, but also the indie game crowd, and you're involved in that these days. To someone who's not familiar with the industry, what what's an indie game? How's that differ, and, and and what's what's your involvement these days? Yeah, so generally speaking, uh, uh, the folks that I don't want to say shy away from, but aren't the aren't the immediate purchasers of a lot of the big AAA games, right? Generally fall into this AAA indie is category. Like a huge game. Yeah, very big budget, often a franchise. You know, Madden twenty five, so on. You know, and so forth. And and uh, it, and those games are great, and they certainly serve a purpose. But there are other people that are looking for just you know, what's your story? What's the what's the unique gameplay mechanic that this developer built? And you often see a lot of creativity in, in the indie space. And so some of the biggest games in the world were indies, and then graduated, right? Became very large. Minecraft was really built by just one person. You know, it's a very simplistic, simple game initially caught on and the amount of you know people that now work quote unquote on a Minecraft type franchise property, et cetera, is just a phenomenally big game. It's AAA now, you know, given given how it's run. And so what you end up with is you end up with all of these people that are looking perpetually for those next big experiences or that unique spin on something that you made or, you know, or even just uh, like experience different sets of graphics. There's certain risks that AAA studios can't take. This is true of the media, uh, the, uh, the film business as well. Just certain stories that can't be told, you know, in large scale theaters. And so, so that, that is the space that those indie folks are in. It's an extremely big market. They're looking for new experiences and, you know, they're, they're quite um, avid in terms of what they're out kind of of perusing and, and looking to, to engage with. Help me understand Minecraft, because my kids play that, and it was like this pixelated guy with an arm that was going like, you know, I can't see it on the audio podcast, but and just building 
things. And I was just, I watched it for a little bit and I'm like, this one's hard to watch. Um, but they love it. What, what, what makes a, a simpler game like that so compelling? Yeah, there's actually a ton of depth uh, into Minecraft, and okay. that all that all comes through the crafting system, which is you can create all of this automation and switches and doors and all of these cool systems in the game. Coupled with it, also has just a you know, good adventure story too. You can go go down to the big dungeons, fight the big dragons, fight the bad guys, collect armor, all of that traditional stuff. And I think where people really got um, kind of pulled in there was the ability to craft and, and create whatever you want. This is the creator economy that now is extremely large today, right? Which is Minecraft and, and a handful of other games surfaced then and made folks aware that this level of customization, creativity, etc., is all within the power of the player. And so the player could go and choose to do whatever they want. If I play Minecraft, I can build the largest castle in the world or I can build a mud hut. And the way in which the game, you know, engages with me and my friends can play with me and so on is determined by how I create in that world and the things I choose to do. That's cool. That's really cool. And it's extremely powerful. So, you know, the sharing of designs on YouTube, the sharing of content, the discussion between our different experiences in the same world facilitated a lot of the, the growth that you see with a product like Minecraft. Yeah, it was cool. Um my son Dawson came up to me one day and said, "Hey, Dad, I built one of the downtown buildings in Minecraft." There you go, right? And it Super cool. cool. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, I've seen people make the Death Star. I've seen some really cool stuff in Minecraft. So that's 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 the allure. That's the draw. If you were going to make one thing in Minecraft, what would Donovan Duncan make? I think I made a mud hut so I could, you know, have a little crops in there and just uh, experience the game. But I've I've built a few things in there, but. To the credit of all of those creators, it's extremely hard. It's a lot of work to build that stuff in Minecraft. So, uh, yeah, I haven't gotten very far. We're going to start wrapping it up here. Great conversation, though. Um, if you were dusting off one of your old growing up game consoles, though, what's what's the game console? Is it the is it the old Sega, the old Atari? What are, what do you what are you missing from that youth that you would bring back? Yeah, I grew up in a foreign country, and one day my dad brought me back an SNES, the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, and about eight games, which at the time made me, you know king of the country almost i was i was the only one with them uh played uh sim city mortal Kombat, and my all-time favorite illusion of gaia uh that was an incredible experience and probably the console i would always uh, say you know got me into gaming pretty hardcore are you a uh so right now they have um the, the, the debate I've read with the computer-based games. Tell us if you're on a game, a computer-based or a game console. You know all these different systems, but it feels like some of these things you have to see in a big screen to really appreciate it. Is that fair? Yeah, the uh, the old console versus PC battle has been going on since I was a kid. You know, and it will probably continue on forever. the The reality for me is those systems have largely. Um, gotten closer and closer together over time you know and now it's much more of an ip base like i actually firmly believe that most gamers are console agnostic or platform agnostic meaning they just want the best game and that's why you see a lot of the uh the platforms today do do specific deals where games come out on their platform first and so on is you know it's access same as a almost like a, a network you know if you know your favorite shows on hulu well you probably subscribe to hulu if it's on netflix that that is where the market in my opinion is is going so great Saturday afternoon. It's raining out. You'd be popping in the old illusion of Gaia. Yeah, eating roasted Pop, turnips in my SNES. Yep. I mean that's that's a Renaissance man right there. If you want to find out about um, Duncan Farm, where can you find about that on the World Wide Web or the social media platforms? Yeah, we are on www.huntsvillefarm.com, and then we also have all of the uh, expected social channels. Our Instagram's a lot of fun. Our Facebook's a great time. So yeah, follow us there and visit our website. I almost forgot one other thing. 
that this whole Thomas Jefferson is Donovan Duncan type thing. Huntsville Compost. Oh, yes. That's cool. Yes. What is it? Philanthropy continues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will come to your house, pick up a bucket of your food scraps each week. We compost all of this on our farm, and then we turn that into soil for our garden beds and a variety of other uses. And then as part of that program, you earn a credit back each week uh, that you can use to cash things in, and we'll bring those to you. So if you're, you know, if you need some fresh eggs and you've got a credit, put that on there. The next time we come and swap your bucket out, we're going to leave those fresh eggs. Eggs. We pick up every week, so we'll pick your compost up every week, and uh, we take care of everything. So we replace the liner, we pick it all up, etc. That service is thirty five ninety nine a month, and then you know you're as a family of you know two to four, let's say you're you're saving from the landfill at least you know seventy to one hundred pounds a month in just food waste. About thirty percent to fifty percent of household waste is compostable, and so you know you can do a great thing, earn some farm credit, and potentially you know help save the world. And if you want to be one of those potential world savers, where do you find out about uh, Huntsville Compost? That is www.huntsvillecompost.com. Same thing on all the socials. A lot of fun. You, you keep this really simple. It's, it's very easy to remember. Farm, Huntsville Very Compost. easy to remember, yeah. All right. I'm going to start getting URLs with Huntsville something. There you go. I bought them all, so good you that. Bought them all. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, there's not many podcasts where you start talking about permaculture farming and end up with game design. But that's today's podcast with Donovan Duncan. Donovan, you ready for your favorite five? I am. Let's do it. All right. Designed to learn about the personality behind the person. Uh, designed to be one-word answers. You can elaborate if you have to. Oh. Ready to jump in? Do it. Pinot Noir or Cabernet Sauvignon? Pinot. Where is that Pinot coming from? Oh, wherever wherever Church Wine Shop tells me it's coming from. I trust Matt probably, completely probably with, my, right. with my wine decisions. Yes. A pork chop or a skirt steak? You got to go pork chop. The bias there is I, uh, you know, the pork chops that I eat, I put in the the fields that we have uh, where they're getting nuts half the year and it's the best in the world. So it's, it's a no brainer for me. A lot of flavor in pork. What is, what else do you all raise there? You pork, chicken, pork, chicken, beef. We do the, all of it, uh, lamb, you know, of course, eggs, etc. Uh, some things you really, and I'm always honest with all of our, you know, customer stuff. Some things you really tell a difference on. Pork raised on acorns or finished on acorns is is one of those meats that is life-changingly good. Whereas, you know, beef, it's pretty hard to have a flavor impact. Good beef is good beef. You know, good pork or great pork, there is an extreme delta. Pause, favorite five for a second, Um, because I remembered sometimes there's lessons learned in life, right? And at one point you grew rabbits. I did. And no longer. What, what, What happened to the rabbit raising? Yeah, the market's just really tough on that. And so, you know, in in, uh, in our kind of Western society and culture, there's just a, an overall negative connotation with, with rabbits. We had people buy them, but just wasn't of any scale that it, it made sense. You know, um, it's a delicious meat, tastes phenomenal. They breed quickly. There's, you know, great ways to feed them good, healthy food. But I just, it was too slow, too slow to sell. Not enough interested folks. So I still do a couple, but we really only do them for us. No Peter rabbits. I think maybe there's too many children. That's the problem. Rabbits. It's I Peter Rabbit. He's ruined our business. <laughs> yes. All right. Number three on Donovan Duncan's favorite five: Legend of Zelda or Last of Us. Oh, you got to go Legend of Zelda. You do, and that's a that is a deeply thought out answer. You know, and uh, mad respect to Last of Us, but you got to go Legend of Zelda. Changed my life, right? It's one of those early stage games I've played it my whole life. So, so you're a video gaming guy professional but also i know you love board games let's go old school monopoly or risk oh uh 
Yeah. See, we did. We did, we designed these so that we always get one. Ooh, that's a hard. That's one. That's a hard one. We got a hard one. <laughs> my entire life is flashing before my eyes on that one. Monopoly or risk? Can I pro con them with you in real time? I, you know, Monopoly more strategic, obviously, a lot of fun, a little bit less up to chance, though. You still have the roll of the dice. Totally get it. But I think I think you know, with good business development skills, little acumen there, you can come out ahead. Risk is anybody's game, I think. So I got to go Monopoly. That said, if you and I were to play, I'd probably prefer Risk because I could just get it done quicker. Monopoly is a eight-hour commitment. So probably Monopoly. Okay. Sounds like you're trying to talk yourself into that answer. Yeah, I am. <laughs> it's a tough one. <laughs> and last but not least, Donovan Duncan's favorite five, Xbox or PlayStation 4? Oh, uh, or well. PlayStation 5. Yeah, there's the new Xbox as well. Probably Xbox. I grew up on Halo. That's always been one of my favorite, you know, console experiences. And um, I think I would stick with that. Yeah, Xbox. Well, there you have it. Donovan Duncan, uh, thanks for all the investment you do in downtown as a property owner, as well as all of the great things you're doing for our community through Huntsville Farm, Duncan Farm, and Huntsville Compost. And thanks for bringing Kirst to Huntsville nine or ten years ago. Can you believe it's been that long? That's unbelievable. Time flies. Spend time with your family. All right, everyone, that's Donovan Duncan on the DHI Explorer podcast. We will talk to you next time on the pod.